Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other little podcasts over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and I would like to cordially invite you to come spend some time in our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing and vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. And I should probably say that for those of you who are ready to escape the heat wherever it is that you live, well... The highest stated temperature in Crested Butte for the next eight days is 67 degrees. So yeah, we've got open spaces, cool temps, tons of trails, so it might just be a good time for a visit. Okay, our guest today is Corey Waltering, who is so interesting that I'm pretty sure he made up at least like 29% of the things we talked about in this conversation. Okay, that's not actually true. I actually do believe something like 99% of Corey's stories, which probably just makes me really gullible. And yet I do believe them. And even if most of them are true, he definitely qualifies as one of the most interesting ultra runners around. And I also believe that you are going to very quickly reach this same conclusion. Brendan Leonard and I talked to Corey last week about that one time when a cat call actually worked on someone, why Corey thinks the running world still needs to stop overlooking Midwestern athletes. We talk about quick trip burgers and also how to remove ticks. And then there was talk about bird-sized mosquitoes, all of which, by the way, go to support Corey's thesis that we need to not overlook Midwestern athletes and their exploits. And then to cap off Corey's bevy of amazing stories, we also talk about the injury and the miracle that happened while he was setting a new FKT on the Ice Age Trail. And so with that, I'd encourage you to sit back, buckle up, get ready to laugh, and shake your head several times in disbelief. And we will now let Brendan Leonard kick off our conversation with Corey Waltering. Here we go. Corey Waltering, thank you for coming on Off the Couch. I have my first question for you is how long it has been since you've had a quick trip cheeseburger or chicken sandwich. <laughs> um, I actually had a quick trip cheeseburger like two weeks after finishing the trail. You were able to eat them again. Yeah, but instead of getting like the basic one, I got their premium one. <laughs> so it had like fancy cheese on it and a fancy bun. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the reason I asked that is that I, I was listening to some interviews with you about your uh, fastest known time on the Ice Age Trail, and you talked about how you would go into quick trip stores uh, and just buy them out of cheeseburgers and chicken sandwiches because you needed to consume six to 8,000 calories a day. And I love this visual of this, you know, fit ultra runner going in there to this Midwestern, what's, I think it's a Wisconsin based chain, yeah. right? Quick trip. Yep. And it's, there's a, so I grew up in Iowa and they're, they had to be called quick star there because there's another quick trip. So, oh. but we had one in my hometown and I, there were, I, this will date me, but I, in college and previous to that, hot dogs off the roller grill were three for a dollar. So you can imagine. <laughs> like, and uh, there was a story that I don't, it was a friend of mine who reminded me the next day after we had been out partying and, and this is in my way younger days. And he was like, I was just waiting for you and waiting for you outside of Quickstar. And I finally went in and you were just standing by the roller grill, just eating hot dogs and looking like you were about to pass out. And I just went and dragged you over to the cashier and said, I just need to pay for whatever he's eaten. And the guy was like, I don't know, three or $4, who, who knows, you know? And then he left. So I just was <laughs> just my own personal roller grill buffet over there. Um, <laughs> so I feel you with that. <laughs> yeah. So are you eating the ones that were like, are we talking like they're in the cooler? No. So these are the ones that were actually in like the hot case there. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. 
and so you just keep the like you'd have like 20 hot sandwiches and they would just eventually get cold and you'd eat them the next day or later no i just buy enough for every day um <sighs> and and we'd keep enough out so that you could keep them warm for a little bit and then the others would go into the cooler so i mean what you're eating in the morning was still warm and then what you're eating in the afternoon and the evening was cold ah so how many are we talking about per day uh too many um over under i would say that i had probably eight cheeseburgers and <laughs> eight chicken sandwiches a day um and then Wait, eight eight and eight so 16 like probably about 16 and then but that's like not even half of the calories for the day yeah oh man <laughs> that is like yeah my like trashy midwestern soul just loves that like I'm, I, would, I know i kind of do too such a great buffet to be running through wisconsin just smashing the shit out of quick trip for the entire the entire time i'm sure you were sick of it by the end though um you know it's honestly one of those things where you don't think about it by the end of it and you're just like this is what i have to do um and so like i would just i'd eat one after another <laughs> just autopilot yeah so <laughs> so were you already a quick trip burger and chicken sandwich aficionado prior to this fkt attempt or were you was this part and parcel you know i'm setting out for this fkt i have figured out a significant new fuel source for myself um i can honestly say that i have maybe had like three of them in my life before that um so basically to figure out what i was going to eat um, I took food from Quick Trip, uh, on a scouting trip I took up there, took the food from Quick Trip and was like, all right, can I eat this while I'm running or can I not eat this while I'm running? <laughs> and was just basically experimenting on the fly on my long runs. Um, and then I also figured out like what kind of canned food I could eat cold, just straight out of the can. And I'm like, great. If it doesn't upset my stomach, then this will work. And if it upsets my stomach, then we know not to buy that. Um, so like I ate the same five foods every day for three weeks straight. I do want to say congratulations on, on the FKT. It's yeah. Congratulations. I do also want, I do also want to point out, I don't know if you've heard of this, uh, Corey being a Midwesterner, but did you know there's a, there's a, uh, an ultra marathon called the hundred K's of convenience. Um, and it's in, in the quad cities and you don't get there's no aid stations. You just get gift cards to, um, convenience stores. And that's where you get all your, your, that those become your aid stations. I don't know if it's your kind of thing. It's kind of like, I think it's mostly on road. Um, but just, uh, just, I wanted to know if you knew it was out there. I do know that's out there. And I think that that would be really fun to do. Um, because as we have discovered, I think I am good at convenience store eating. Um, and, that's not the only time I've had to do that. Um, at Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, there is like this 30K stretch that there isn't an aid station and you hit it in the middle of the night. And so everyone's like, bring cash or a card with you because you want to stop at 7-Eleven along the way. And I was like, no one's going to stop at 7-Eleven. Like we're in the middle of a race. Nobody stops. But like everybody stops there. So, um, yeah, apparently I like to do things that include convenience stores and food. <laughs> Man, I think Japan has the, uh, like the highest per capita 7-Elevens in the world, I believe. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I have a number of fun questions or funny questions. That I think they're interesting things about your life. So you grew up in Ottawa, Illinois, where you still live and it's, uh, right around 20,000 people, right? And you got into running, I understand from... Uh, racing your grandfather outside of church one day when you were like, what age? Five or six, maybe? About seven. Seven, okay. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, Ottawa's flat, about 80 miles from Chicago, not a lot of trail running around there. It's interesting to me that you do run mountain races and your closest trail is quite a ways away. So you do a lot of road running. Is that is that right? Pretty much all road running during the week. And then, and then up to Wisconsin or, or nearby there for, for some trail, trail time. 
Yeah, uh, lots of stuff in Wisconsin on the weekend, or I'll go down to Peoria, Illinois, down to like okay. Detweiler and Camp Wakanda and do uh, the trails down there because Peoria is actually rather hilly. Um, okay. You can get about 5,500 feet of gain in 20 miles, um, which is absolutely awesome for living here. Um, but that's still like a 80 minute drive for me. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it defies it defies convention, or you know that that you would be a really competitive trail and ultra runner um, with given given the geography, you know. And I know that being a Midwesterner is one of the things that you are that you find people are sort of under they, they lower their expectations, and, and you're like, no, there's trail running here. There are real trail runners here, um, but you you have lived other places, and you chose to chose to stay in Ottawa. Have you thought about, is there any thinking that you might, you know, hey, I should move to California or Colorado or Utah or any of those places just for your career? Are you just kind of like, I'm going to make this work and show people, be sort of the test case and prove to you that I can be a competitive mountain runner um, while living in flatlands? Yeah. um, So I actually moved back to Illinois at the end of 2015. But before that, I spent time in Boulder and then up in Leadville and then out in Vegas um, and then finally moved back home when I was engaged in getting ready to get married. Um, And so honestly, like I moved back to Illinois and basically my hometown um, because I got married. And um, it was an interesting moment in my career because I... I wasn't really well known at that point. Um, and like, we didn't really know if this was going anywhere or not. So, uh, moving back home kind of made sense. Um, and now that's definitely a big topic of discussion in our house. (laughs) Um, because there are definitely times where it would make sense to be living in the mountains or living in a certain area training for specific races. Uh, but I do a lot of it here. Um, and then if it's something extremely important to me or uh, the North Face or whatever, then I will actually go other places for like four to six weeks at a time to train for a bigger event. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I heard listening to someone else's interview, um, the story of how you and you and Tom met. And I think it's absolutely hilarious because I think it's probably one of the, I always feel like the success rate of cat calling is probably like, you know, a successful cat call, the odds of it actually happening are like getting struck by lightning, but your story, your story sort of in, well, in, involves a, a cat call and how you met. Could, would you be able to tell that story for us? I heard, I heard Tom tell it on a different podcast and I, I kind of wanted to hear your, your version of it. Yeah. Uh, so I was out running, um, Probably shirtless in like short shorts because what else would I be running in? And so, um, yeah, I was out running one day and this dude basically like slows down, just driving in the middle of the street, slows down and rolls down the window of at that time a white minivan. And <laughs> oh, yeah, and is like, hey, you're hot. And, um, like, I had my headphones, and I kind of, like, lifted them off for a second. I'm like, what? He's like, hey, you're hot. And then he pulled away. Um, and so, like, that was the first time we ever met. Um, and I was just like, what the fuck? Like, okay, <laughs> but whatever. So then it's, like, two years later, and um, he was working. He was managing this store that one of my high school friends ha- was working at. Um, and so like I walked into the store and there's the dude that cat called me a couple of years ago and (laughs) it was just really funny because like he was like awestruck that I was coming into the store and my friend from high school was just carrying on conversation. We were making plans for that weekend or whatever. And so it was just really funny. Um, because after I left, uh, Tom was like talking to my friend. He's like, Hey, like, do you know who that is? And like, blah, 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 blah. And my friend's like, yeah, that's Corey. Like, what, what about him? <laughs> and so, and so it was just really funny. So that's actually how we met. So anyway, um, 
Tom also had a hot dog cart at the time that he... (laughs) (laughs) And and so the hot dog cart used to be down by, like, the park in our town. And, like, a bunch of tourists come through here to go to Starved Rock. And so, like, he'd sell hot dogs down there and whatever, blah, 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 blah. And one day I was running by and then once again, I'm just like, oh my God, there's a dude that like cat called me. So I was like, whatever, like I'll stop. I'll say, hey, whatever, humor him. And then we actually started hanging out. Um, And so that is how we met. It just seems like long odds, you know, with the cat call and then the hot dog cart and like, you know, a few, few years later you're married, which is never, that never happens to people who cat call people ever. But Tom, Tom, just amazing beating all the odds there. I really like the idea that there's like this alternate universe where you and Tom meet and Tom just comes up to you and says, hi, I'm Tom. I have a hot dog cart and a (laughs) minivan. (laughs) Want to get married? And you're like, think about it for like two seconds and you're just like, yes, I do. (laughs) So that we would have accepted that version of this story as well. Just so you know. (laughs) while we're on the subject too Corey, um i was i googled tom to see what he does besides have a minivan a hot dog cart but he and i found out i was like would i think you had mentioned on another podcast that he doesn't doesn't really run much and he'll ride his bike with you and i had i had just pictured i don't know like maybe some professorial person maybe he's really into reading and no in fact tom is a professional skydiver and skydiving instructor so I thought, wow, these these two guys live in, you know, town of 22,000 people. And I think what happens, this is what I'm curious about, what happens when you go to a dinner party and meet new people and you're like sitting next to another couple and they say, what do you do? And they find out what both of you do. And are they kind of just taken aback and like, who are they more impressed with or who are they more shocked by that that's their career? Like you run a hundred miles and then Tom is a professional skydiver and does that ever just sort of, does the rest of the room just stop sometimes and you guys tell stories or how does that work? Uh, that's usually how it goes actually, um, which is uh, pretty funny uh, because Tom usually leads with like, I'm a professional skydiver and people are just like, oh, I could never do that. And like, they're not like shocked by it, but they're always like, oh, like I've never been skydiving. I could never go. I'm afraid of heights and blah, 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 blah. And uh, it just makes him laugh because he has his whole thing that he says about it's not the heights and all this. And um, and so there's that. Um, and then they're like, and what do you do? Thinking that, you know, I just have some like desk job or something. And I'm like, right. oh, I'm a professional trail and ultra runner for the North Face. And everyone's just like, what? So um, <laughs> like, get out of here. Yeah. They're like, are you guys making this up? And I'm like, no, we're not right. making this up. Um and so now it, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really funny. <laughs> Those are just not jobs they tell you about in high school, you know? No, not at all. <laughs> Corey, how many times have you gone skydiving? I haven't gone yet. and the- That's crazy. What? No. So it's his job. <laughs> so when he's going and jumping out of airplanes, if he's jumped, you know, 10 or 12 times that day, Uh, the last thing he wants to do is take me up in the air and jump. And I'm usually doing my long runs on the weekends when he's doing most of his jumping. So like the last thing I want to do after driving to the trail and then running, you know, 20 miles or whatever, driving back, um, is jump out of an airplane. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. So wait, is the objection more that you're kind of fatigued after a long run or is it you're like, I don't really feel like jumping out of an airplane. Um, just fatigue after the long run. Like I'm, I'm not afraid to okay. go. So, uh, okay. so I was living in Vegas when Tom proposed. Um, and so because he's coming to town, um, I was like, Hey, let's get a room on the strip. This will be really fun. And we can actually like party for once or something. And so got a room and he was like super excited to be coming to Vegas So he was still in Illinois and he sent out like wine and beer. He like shipped all this stuff out and said, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like it really will be a party. So we get to the hotel room and like he was still just so excited. I'm like, okay, something's up. And I'm like, 
We're going skydiving. Like we are going to go skydiving in Vegas. You're going to be able to see the strip. You'll be able to see Hoover Dam, like all this stuff. And like literally being in the room for maybe three minutes, he's like, will you marry me? And I was just like, uh, so we're not going skydiving. And he's like, no, why did you think that we're going skydiving? I'm like, <laughs> because you get excited for skydiving and like you are so excited right now. And he's like, will you answer the question? Will you marry yeah. me? And I was like, yes, but going back to skydiving, we're not going. <laughs> and he's like, no. And so like, that was the last time I've ever been like, hey, like we should go skydiving. <laughs> One of these days I will go. Okay. Remember that thing remember that thing we were talking about yesterday? No, when you proposed five years <laughs> yeah. ago. Like skydiving. Yeah. Your job. So you, you move back because you're getting married. Can you sort of talk a little bit about what it was like to get to f- get sponsored by the North Face? Like did you did they reach out to you? Did they find you on social media? Did you do well in a couple races or, or how did that work? Because it seems like, I guess I don't, I don't know of a lot of other people in the Midwest, um, that, that do, that are able to pull in a big sponsorship like that. Is that, how did that work for you? Um, yeah. So, uh, basically I ran for innovate for two years before the North face um, and Innovate found me, uh, on social media, I think on Instagram, uh, after I ran five hours and 30 minutes at Tunnel Hill for 50 miles. Um, and they're just like, Hey, are you talking to anybody right now? Like, do you have any contracts lined up for 20, uh, I guess that would have been 2017. And I was like, Nope, not really talking to anyone. And they're like, well, we'd like to talk then. Um, so ran for them for two years and then, um, in the middle of 2018, um, trail runner magazine wanted to do an article about what it's like being a black and gay trail runner. And I was like, you know, that story has been covered before, but I really want to talk about the lack of sponsorship for high level athletes in the Midwest. Um, and they're just like, whoa, like we didn't see the article taking a turn this way, but okay, let's talk about this. So they put that article out. And then the day that it came out, uh, the athlete coordinator for the North Face, uh, was in my inbox on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and contacted me through my blog. And I thought it was a joke. And so I just marked it as spam and went about my day because I'm like... (laughs) Because I'm like, the North Face isn't talking to me. Like, this is no big deal. I'm like, this has to be some sort of joke. So I just let it go. And four or five days went by, and I had not responded, obviously. So the athlete coordinator went through, um, messaged me on all forms again. So I was like, okay, like, whatever. Like, I'll humor this person. So I was like, I sent an email back, and I'm like, hey, like, I don't believe this is true, but I'll humor you. Like, if this is real, then here's my phone number. You can give me a call anytime in the next couple days, and uh, we'll chat. And then, like, sure enough, she actually called and was like, hey, like, this is the North Face. Like, we really want to talk about bringing you on to the team for 2019. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that was just a really funny introduction. Like, ironic that the guy who is, like, I'm a trail runner and my husband is a professional skydiver wouldn't believe when someone reaches out with a kind of unconventional email. There's an irony there, no? <laughs> a <Maybe> little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I was like, it just didn't seem true though. Um, and like the North Face isn't known for sponsoring athletes that live like east of the Mississippi. I mean, I think we have one, well, now we have a couple more, but like at that time, I think there's just one skier on the team that lived in Vermont and everybody else is out West. So I was like, okay, whatever. But, uh, yeah, turns out it was real. (laughs) Mike foot, who is a teammate of yours, uh, lives in Missoula and he graciously took me on a little run a couple weeks ago and ran really slow. And, um, he said, you know, we can get together at 7 30 AM 
or if you want, we can do something at like 10. I can make that happen too. And we ran seven miles out on the trail here and we got back to my bike and he said, yeah, this is the latest I've run in like years. I can't run usually after like nine 30 in the morning. And, uh, so I, I was doing some research about you and found out you don't like to get up early either. And I, I texted him and, and told him, and I was like, Hey Mike, I'm interviewing Corey Waltering in a, in a few minutes here. And he doesn't like to get up before 10 AM. Just, just FYI. And he said to tell you, hi. <laughs> well, hello, Mike. And um, yeah, so it's actually kind of funny because I, I'm up decently early, um, but like I will not run before, like I don't think I've made it out of the house before 11 a.m. for a run in quite a while. Um, and normally, like I'll go at two or three in the afternoon, maybe even four, um, but like if I run at like 6am or something like that, when some of my friends like to run their long runs on weekends, uh, you better believe there needs to be like beer or something after that. And I don't care if it's beer at 8am. Like that's the only thing that's going to get me out of bed for that. <laughs> that's just way too early. <laughs> do you think that has something to do with the fact that the humidity in the Midwest means it's not like the temperature doesn't swing as much during the summer? Like, I mean, sometimes in the West we have like a 30 degree or 40 degree temperature swing. So if you go earlier, it's less hot or are you just like, I'm just not getting out of bed. I just don't care to run that early. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Me neither. This, this makes me feel better about myself. So thank you. We should keep, we should stay on this for a while. Yeah. Every time, every time we have a guest on here, who's like, I get up at four and then I'm usually out the door by four forty-five. I just feel real bad about myself, even though I should feel bad about myself. Cause I'm not remotely the runner. They are whoever it is we're talking to, but I just always am like rooting for the, the night owls or the people who aren't like out the door first thing in the morning. Those are my people. Totally. Absolutely. Like there, no, 430. Oh, <laughs> most of the time I'm not, I'm not looking at those people going, you know, if I just got up earlier, I could be a lot faster. It's not, that's not <laughs> it. You know, it's like, it's a completely different problem here. So yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your sort of uh, evolution as a runner. So you were, you ran what I think are the two worst events in track and field. I mean, personally, like I have a distaste for them, uh, 400s and 800s in high school and college, correct? They're not fun. <laughs> was it, was it a, a thing that when you were like, uh, in high school and you just started realized you were good at them and that was where you wanted to compete or did you actually gravitate towards the 800? Um, so I'd been doing that since like junior high, um, just that's what I ended up being decent at in junior high. And so that carried over into high school. Um, and basically the reason I was stuck with like the 400 and the 800 and the mile every once in a while was because I was an awful two mile runner on the track. Like it just was not my thing. Um, but then I was decent at cross country. Um, and so they just kept me on the track, uh, like 400, 800. And that's kind of what I was stuck with. <laughs> did you ever try dropping down to like a 200 or like how much kind of experimenting were you doing with dis with different distances? Yeah. As a junior in college, I was 10th at our conference meet in the 200, um, which was pretty funny because uh, that was definitely not my event. But I think I ran like 23, 34 for 200 meters. Um, nice. Yeah, so, like, it wasn't, like, I had speed, but not, you know, like, national class speed or anything in the 200, but when you're going up to the 800 or 1500 the mile, like, that, that's pretty good speed for that. Um, yep. So, yeah, like, I'd get to run the 200 every once in a while, and uh, I ran a couple 5Ks on the track in college as well, um, but, like, mostly stuck with 400, 800, 1500. And you went to you went to college on an academic scholarship, right? And studied biology. Yeah. Yes. Did uh, did you as you were getting out of college? Did was there? Were you thinking uh, this might be a career path, or were you looking at something involving biology, um, like med school or something like that? Or did did running start to turn out to be something uh, that you you thought you could make a living at? 
like triathlons, um, I believe, right? Yeah, so I was kind of torn because I had looked at going into nursing school because um, for a while I thought I wanted to be a critical care nurse practitioner, um, which I do not want to do that anymore. Um, but I thought that I did. Um and, but at the same time, I was like, well, you know, I may be able to make it as a triathlete. So I was really torn and I chose the athletic route um, rather than going back to school. Um, and I, I don't necessarily regret that. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's going pretty well. I mean, not, I'm, not, <laughs> yeah. I'm no career counselor, but I feel like you're doing okay. <laughs> totally. <laughs> But we never know how we never know how good of a nurse practitioner you would have been. I guess uh, and you can you can still do that too, right? Oh, I could. I just won't. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Corey, what made you decide? Like, yeah, definitely don't want to do that. Uh, just I don't want to go back to school for that long. Like, yeah. And I mean, it would it would absolutely be worth it. Uh, I just don't. I just don't see myself sitting in a classroom for that long um, and then going through clinicals and everything else. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's like those like medical school and that sort of and like nurse practitioner programs that are that long. You can't just like you can't just finish and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to take a take a year off and go be a ski bum. It's more like you just got to you got to do the job after that. It's such a big commitment in, in yeah. my mind. Absolutely. And so like that's why I just. I can't commit to that. And so uh, I'm okay with that. What got you sort of out of that and into trail running and ultra running? Yeah. Um, so I, after college, I moved to Boulder and was like, yeah, let's give this, uh, let's give this pro triathlon thing a shot, which basically I had to try to get my pro card. And so um, I was just hanging out with a lot of different people in Colorado at that time. And, um, I went on my first like mountain bike ride ever on like actual mountain bike trails and went on my first trail run, um, in Estes park. And it was like, this is actually really kind of fun. And it's like, it's not on the road. Um, and you know, you actually get to go see more things this way. I'm like, this is really fun. So started hanging out with some trail runners and mountain bikers. And then my friend Bo was just like, Hey, like I'm running the Leadville 100. Um, and I need a pacer. Would you be interested in that? And I was like, what is a Leadville 100 and what is a Mm -hmm. pacer? Um, (laughs) and he's like, yeah, so it's, there's this hundred mile race up in the mountains. And I'm like, I don't even know where Leadville is. I don't know what Pacers do, but uh, sure, I will help you with that, I guess. So he's like, great. On your easy runs for the next few weeks, let's start going on some trail runs rather than you just running around the roads of Boulder. And I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. So I really started enjoying that. And then I paced Bo at Leadville um, from the halfway point at Winfield back over Hope Pass down into Twin Lakes. Um, and at that point, I remember just being like, I am quitting triathlon after worlds and I am focusing on trail running. Um, so I actually called my coach from Leadville, um, after I was done pacing and I'm like, we only have like three weeks till worlds. And I'm like, after that, I am, I am done with triathlon. So, um, it's been really fun and let's focus on these next three weeks, but I am done. And it was just really funny because he's like, okay, like that, that's totally fine. You know, like if that's what you want to do. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know. I just fell in love with trail running in Leadville. Huh. And, and, uh, how, how soon did it sort of start going well for you? Were you, or did, did you know, or were you just from the beginning going, I'm just going to make this work? Um, so that is a good question. So, uh, Leadville is like, I think three weeks before Worlds for the Half Ironman, um, I went and had uh, the best race of my life, actually. Um, So I felt really good about just ending it there. And then three weeks after the Half Ironman, I ran the Quad Cities Marathon, um, came back from Boulder so I could see family members. Uh, My dad came to my first marathon. And I ran, um, I ran 237 in my first marathon and my longest run ever was 16 miles. Um, 
And so people are like, hey, like, I really think that, you know, you might be a decent marathoner. Like, you should give that a shot. And I'm like, I don't want to run marathons. I want to run ultras. <laughs> like, that's what I was telling people. And they're like, okay, whatever. Like, you may want to do both. Um, so then I ran my first 50K maybe, maybe six to eight weeks later um, and absolutely loved it. And so that was my first 50K in December of that year and then ran Silver Rush 50 mile that next summer and missed the podium there by 52 seconds. But, but yeah, like those 52 seconds were actually probably a great thing. Um, because instead of like being like, oh, well now I know how to run 50 miles really well and I can move up to hundred K or hundred miles is like, what did I do wrong that I couldn't make up those 52 seconds? So now I have to obsess over this and focus on it. Um, and it ended up being a great thing. What, what was it that you, that you found that you, that you improved? Uh, more, more burgers. (laughs) Well, I didn't have my nutrition dialed in, so that just pretty much ended up being a nightmare. Um, and I fell a couple times during the race, which, uh, still has not changed at all. Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, so it was nutrition. Like I did not have nutrition dialed in and, um, like I didn't even have, like I wasn't going to run Silver Rush either. Um, I signed up for it, like, I think at packet pickup that year. Um, so, uh, I probably could have been a little more prepared for that, but it was fun. Okay. Um, so then, so you, you find some success in, uh, in some ultra marathons. At some point you sign up for an ultra and you forget to pack running shorts. And can you talk about what happened instead of finding a way to buy some running shorts, what, what you did? Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to buy running shorts at, like, 5.30 a.m. on race morning. So um, <laughs> I was just like, well, I my, uh, my only options are I can either wear dirty shorts to race in, which probably wouldn't have been, you know, awful, but, like, I didn't want to wear dirty shorts. So I'm like, it's, it's Florida. So I wore a Speedo that I had packed for going to the beach. And, I mean, once again, it's Florida, so nobody really cares. Um, and I ended up winning that race and the picture just went like viral on social media. So then after that, like everyone's like, oh, well now you always have to race in a speedo. Like, okay, like whatever. So I, so I have pretty much for most of my races in the last like five years now. I didn't, I didn't know it was like a, a luggage mispacking thing. I I was like, maybe it's just bringing like sort of triathlon fashion to like you know, trail running. Cause I, the trail. don't people finish the marathon like a speedo sometimes and iron man's, I don't know. Or is yeah, that not sure. done anymore? I don't, I, I mean, I don't photos. think it's, I mean, I don't feel like it's done that much anymore, but yeah, like, okay. yeah, but it's just a mispacking thing. Like I just didn't have what I needed. So I went with what I had. And now you're just like, I'm, I'm sticking with this. I'm doing it. Yep. I, have to, I have to keep the fans happy basically. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, not not to spoil alert here, but you weren't speedoing at least for large segments of your recent FKT, but maybe the entirety. I was a little bit like, wait, what? I, you know, where's the signature? Where's the signature clothing? Yeah. Um, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> the... Because ticks? Ticks, mosquitoes, overgrown trail, just, it was to the point where, uh, well, because of COVID, the, the trail had not had basically trail maintenance done on it from like the end of March until June, not June, May 26th or 28th. Um, and so just going through some of the sections of that trail is so overgrown that like there are literally times the grass is like above my head. Um, like weeds are just growing that high. Um, so I chose not to be all cut up by raspberry bushes and weeds and all that jazz. And I actually wore shorts. (laughs) Sounds like you should have worn like Carhartts or something. Uh, well I did. There were a couple days that I did wear like actual pants 
um, which okay. is unheard of for me. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, uh, it was that bad at times. I'm trying to conjure up the image of like somebody like trying to go into Quick Trip to get their like pack of Marlboro Lights and standing in line behind a guy in a speedo who's like bleeding down his legs and has like ten cheeseburgers in one hand and ten chicken sandwiches in the <laughs> other hand. They're just like, what the hell is going on here? What happened? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that would definitely be interesting, especially up in <laughs> northern Wisconsin. Right, small town. (laughs) Yeah, I come in here every morning to get a coffee and a pack of cigarettes. This is this is crazy. Um, So you are it's beginning of twenty twenty, turning into March, um, and we're we're watching races get canceled and stuff. And you you had done uh, run every street in Ottawa as a fundraiser um, for local businesses and um, in a way uh, healthcare workers as well. And can you talk a little bit about how the idea to do an FKT on the Ice Age Trail came about? Um, like the lightning bolt moment where you were like, hey, that's what I'll do with with June. Do you remember what that was like? Yeah. Um, so I had finished Run Every Street in the middle of April, I guess, um, and then took a little bit of time down and then started running and was basically like, okay, um, there are no races and I would like to do something. So I started throwing around some ideas and, uh, basically ended up on the ice age trail because I had already run uh, a bit of it. Um, and just really kind of wanted to see the whole thing. Um, and so like originally I had planned on doing this maybe in like 2025 or something like that, like a few more years down the road. Um, but it kind of made sense to do it now because my husband could crew and there, I, our photographer, Kevin could come out for that. And I had two people that also said they could crew, um, and basically be there the whole time. And so it was like, well, this is one of the only times that I think we will all have this time off. And I also don't really need to worry about recovering for anything else after it. So I was like, you know what, let's just go for it. And so we, uh, we planned for about three weeks and then went for it. Corey, I'd be curious to know, did you have some pretty specific and concrete plans for 2020, some things that got canceled, or was that still sort of taking form? You know, fewer cancellations, but you're like, obviously took a bit of a left turn given, you know, the year. Yeah, uh, I pretty much had my races set for 2020. The only thing that was still kind of up in the air was uh, Canyon's 100K, and then if I got a golden ticket into Western states or not. Um, Other than that, like everything else is set. Um, so yeah, that was just, that was the hard part of just being like, all right, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be doing this race in June, but then it's like the stuff in the fall is like, maybe there's a chance it may happen, maybe not. And so it basically became the thing of like, okay, let's go after this FKT and we're not going to think about anything else that's coming up for the rest of the year. Um, which has now actually been a great decision. Was Tom, is he not uh, doing like tandem skydives and stuff now with COVID or what is that? Uh, Is he just totally available to help crew? Yeah. Yeah. He was totally available. Um, And so like it was, it was just like this perfect storm of everybody being available and ready and being kind of bored and um, yeah. And you were, so you were putting together a schedule of like basically averaging like basically a hundred K or 60 miles a day. It sounds like, was that... That's what I wanted to do, um, and that would have had me finishing in 17 days and something hours, maybe close to uh, 18 uh, days, but that changed. Um, that changed pretty much on day two. The first part, like the first 350 miles of this trail are a lot of rocks and roots and mud and standing water on the trail. Um, And not only that, you go from like sections like that to then like crossing just open fields and grassy prairies and all of that. And 
On day one, I noticed that uh, I came out of the woods at one point and had about 20 ticks on me, just like crawling up my legs and started to freak out a little bit because that was the first time I'd ever had a tick on me, um, which sounds, mm -hmm. it sounds so weird because I mean, I grew up in the Midwest and I spend hours every year um, outside and in the woods. And yet like, I just never had one on me. So to go from never having one on to now having 20 of them just crawling up my legs. Um, that was not fun. Um, so dealt with that on day one and still got in like 55 miles or so and was like, here you go. But on day two, like I was at my breaking point. Um, I was eight miles into the second day and came out of the woods with 30 or 40 ticks just on me crawling up my legs. Oh my God. And I was like, what is going on? Like we are, we are eight miles into the day and I already have this many ticks on me. Like I am not doing this. So my first item was bit of business was to just get the ticks off of me. But then after that, I told my crew, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going back out into the woods so we can pack it up and we are going home. And they're all smart. Yeah. And they're all just like, <laughs> they're all just like, you're not going home. Like you're fine. I'm like, I am not fine. We are leaving. We will come back in October. Like this is done. And my crew just kind of looked at me and they're like, well, you know, like this is, this may be the only time that we can all be here for you for three weeks. So like, so we, we kind of have to do this now. And I told them we are not doing it. And I went and I sat in the van <laughs> and, and I stayed there. I stayed there for about two hours, like just not willing to even move um, because I was just so over it. And then finally, um, I was on Instagram and I was talking to another person that has hiked the Ice Age Trail many, many, many times. And he's like, hey, I have, a, I have a tip for you. He's like, if you just take duct tape and put it sticky side out and then wrap it around your ankles when the ticks are like falling off of the grass and into your shoes and then trying to crawl up your legs, they'll actually get stuck on the duct tape and then they won't make it past your ankles and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, like why are people lying to me right now? Like this is not helping <laughs> anything. And I was like, you guys are just really starting to make me angry. So I was like, okay, like we'll try this duct tape thing. And so I kid you not, we put duct tape on and I hiked the next like eight mile stretch, came out of the woods and had about 20 ticks stuck to the duct tape, but none had made it past my ankles. And I was like, all right, we're back in business and game on. This is all crazy. By the way, okay, couple things to say. One, there is a really nice like 10 minute video of Corey's FKT attempt uh, that we will, you know, post in the show notes to this episode. I just want to say that if this had been my FKT attempt, the video would have been like 83 seconds long because it like ticks and then it's like, and I'm out. Everybody, <laughs> you know, couldn't happen this time around. So thanks for coming out. And uh, so, yeah, it would have been a much shorter video. Second statement how were you removing all of these ticks? I like, I always thought, thank God, like I grew up in the Midwest too. And I don't think I've ever had a tick on me, but you always hear these stories about you got to burn them off or drown them or something. Is this not true? Um, so luckily I was able to like get all of mine off before they started to burrow in or the ones that did start to oh burrow, like hadn't like burrowed enough in that they wouldn't come right out. Um, but, um, so like, I didn't have to deal with that. Although a couple of my crew members did actually have ticks that started to burrow in. So like, it wasn't just yeah. the runner, uh, that was dealing with it. Yeah. But, um, like, so the easiest way that I found was if you take duct tape and put it sticky side out and like wrap it around your hands. Um, if you're not using trekking poles, then you can actually just like use that duct tape and just pull them off your leg that way. Um, got it. Yeah. And like, it's not something you really want to have to think about, but like you, you do have to think about it because there are just so many of them and you can't stop and actually take time to get ticks off because then you just get swarmed by the mosquitoes. 
Um, and I mean, the mosquitoes up there are like miniature pigeons. I mean, they're huge. And so it's, it's just one of these nightmares where it's like you have to keep moving if you're anywhere near the woods. I think, like, I'm not sure that you are receiving enough credit for this FKT, right? Like, I, this should be like the Game of Thrones FKT or something, like battling monsters the whole way. I don't know if there's a how we asterisk that, this out appropriately. I don't know, man. I like you can't. I don't even, like mosquitoes or ticks. When you get done at night, you can't even just like sit down in a camp chair outside the van and, and eat or like relax and to have a beer, right? It's like you have to get Keep inside moving. the van. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's and, miserable. And that's another thing. Um, so we had planned on camping uh, basically along the trail. Um, so unfortunately, like due to COVID, a lot of the campgrounds were closed or facilities were closed. So, um, because of that, we had to spend a lot of time like driving back and forth between hotels, um, to, and so like, I'm almost thankful for that just because you at least were able to get out of the mosquitoes and the ticks for a few hours of sleep. Um, rather than camping, but at the same time, it's like, that's just extra effort going on right there. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, honestly, it, it was probably good for the sleeping aspect of it. Yeah. For, for that many days in a row, like that's, that's, I imagine a bed and a shower is not, not the worst thing in the world at the end of a lot of those days. Um, we have heard about the quick trip diet now we've gotten to the ticks and the pigeon-sized mosquitoes. Then there's the ankle. And this is the part I really actually understand the least about all of this. Do you want to talk a bit about what happened with the ankle? And then obviously my question is, you have an ankle issue, and then it's sort of you have less of an ankle issue somehow? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on day five, I rolled my ankle, uh, probably it'd have to have been within the last mile or two before ending the day. Um, there's just this stretch where it's like you're climbing over a bunch of down trees and then it was like mid calf deep mud with a few inches of water on top of it. And you're just like slogging through this and you can't see what you're stepping on. And so at some point, like I just stepped on either a branch or a rock or something that was under the mud and rolled my ankle. And so, um, you know, nothing, it didn't seem like it was supposed to be anything too bad at the time. Cause I mean, who doesn't roll their ankle every once in a while, but I guess, you know, after you've already been running for five full days and then you roll your ankle, sometimes it hurts a bit more. Um, so I went to bed that night, no big deal. Woke up the next morning and was like, yeah, this hurts, but didn't say anything to my crew about it. It was like, it's fine. I'll get through this. I was just moving a little bit slower. And then on day seven, I was finally like, okay, like, hey guys, like we have a bit of an issue. And they actually called me out on it. They're like, you've been limping for a while now. Like what's actually going on? I'm like, oh, I rolled my ankle two days ago. Like I just, I need some trekking poles. Um, and like, that's all I told him. I'm like, I just need trekking poles. So we had a friend coming up from Madison and he's like, I'll get some from REI and then you should be good to go. Um, and so... Uh, that's basically what I did. Like I hiked with trekking poles for the next three days or so. Um, and basically through that, I was like favoring my left side more than my right side. So then I started to have some shin issues that were going on, but I was like, well, if I'm limping on my right side and I'm limping on my left side, then I guess I can just limp in a straight line down the trail. So, uh, we should be good to go. Um, my crew did not find that to be too funny though. Um, and so when we got closer to Wausau, they're like, we, we need to get you in to see someone. And I was like, if you can find a doctor or whatever along the way, then great. We will go see someone. But if there's no one along the way, then like, we just have to keep moving forward down this trail. So got in to see a sports chiropractor. Um, and basically he confirmed that like, it wasn't a high ankle sprain. There wasn't anything broken. And from there, he's like, I can do some active release therapy on it and I can do some laser therapy on it. And he goes, you're just going to be in pain until you stop running. So he goes, like, you can, you only you can control how much pain you can handle. 
And it's like, that's absolutely true. And it's like, I'm not quitting, so my crew cannot quit. Um, and we just continued on. And um, finally, like, literally one morning, I didn't do anything different. Um, but this is day, maybe day 12, I believe. Um, I woke up and, like, the swelling in my ankle was pretty much gone. Um, the pain in my ankle was pretty much gone. And so the only thing that was left to hurt was just my shins at that point. Um, and I mean, they felt like someone was just taking like a dull butter knife and just like jamming it into my shin every step I took. Um, and like, I couldn't, I couldn't really run flats. I couldn't really run downhills, but I could still hike uphill quite well. Um, and so like that pain just continued until the end of it, but my ankle didn't hurt. <laughs> I, Maybe there were some like benevolent ticks that got on your ankle in the middle of the night, sucked out like the blood and the <laughs> swelling, and then got full and then just pieced out. And then you're like, oh, look at that. My ankle's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, it was, I, I have no idea how that worked, but because uh, like I can't explain it. Um, but yeah. it's funny because Pete, you know, Pete Kostelnik, um, he actually, <laughs> he sent me a message on Instagram when he saw that I was having uh, ankle issues. And he's like, just keep moving forward. It will work itself out. And mm -hmm. I was just like, well, if there's anybody that can tell me to just keep moving forward, I guess it would be Pete. Um, but mm -hmm. I really just wanted to be like, how do you know it's going to work itself out? And like, have you been in this position before? But then I thought about it. I'm like, yes, Pete probably has been in that position many times. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll just keep moving forward. And like, sure enough, like, I can't explain it, but it worked. How was your recovery going and how was it the first week or so after, after the, after you finished? Yeah. Uh, right now recovery is going great. Um, when I finished recovery was not so much fun. Um, so it was actually kind of weird cause I woke up that next morning after finishing and, um, like I had not mentally processed that I had finished the trail and set the FKT. So I woke up maybe at like six 30 that morning and was freaking out that I was late for getting a start to get ready to get out onto the trail. So I woke up my crew and was like, Hey, like, what are we all doing? Like we are late for the trail. Like this, we have stuff that should have already been done by now. And like, I need to shower and get ready to go. And they're all like, go where for what? I'm like, we, we have to be out on the trail. Like, this is this is what we're doing. And they're like, Corey, you, you set the FKT. Why don't you go back to bed? And I was like, huh, I guess I did. <laughs> and like, it took, it took a few minutes to sink in. And I was like, all right, I'm going back to bed. And so, so I slept for like another two hours and like those extra two hours were pretty much amazing. Um, and then the best part was, I was like, you know, I can have a beer at 9am if I want to have a beer at 9am right now, because I have set the FKT and I do not have to do anything today. Yeah. yeah. And so sure enough, I'm like, I'm going to get up, I'm going to take a shower, I'm going to have a beer in the shower, and I'm going to celebrate this. And <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but then the same thing happened the next morning. Like, I woke up, still didn't realize I had set the FKT, and was like freaking out um, that I was late for getting out on the trail. And it was the same process that second day where it's like, oh, no, just kidding. You can go back to bed. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Yeah. Like it, it just, it became like so ingrained over those three weeks. Like that's just what it was. Um, and so finally on that third morning, um, I still woke up decently early, but wasn't freaking out about the FKT. I was just like, right. I can go straight back to bed. Don't even need to freak out now. Um, so yeah, that went on for those three days, two days, the third day was like, okay, we're all good. Um, but the first like two and a half to three weeks after this were absolutely awful when it came, uh, to sleeping. Uh, I could not mm -hmm. sleep at night, so I would be up until one or 2 a.m. 
just like wide awake and then fall asleep from probably about two to six and then be wide awake again. And then it would hit me about two or three in the afternoon and I would just fall asleep for a few hours from like two to four, two to five. Um, and it's just because when I was out there on the trail, like I got so used to only sleeping maybe four or five hours a night that that's just, that became the new normal. But when everything was catching up with me, like it hit hard. I just want to say thanks so much for, for taking the time. And, um, it's been, been fun to chat with you about things running and non-running. Yeah, absolutely. It has been a blast. Corey, amazing. And congratulations. And I'm so happy. It seems that you're not, you don't have ticks on you anymore. That's really my <laughs> biggest thing. Absolutely. Um, but so cool. And I'm so glad we got to connect. And um, I'd love to do it again sometime. And uh, hopefully you don't have horrific stories about ticks and, and ankles and, and the rest next time. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Corey for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>